1: Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast about board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. And this is Anthony. And this is episode 325. Talk me out of buying or backing Mosaic, A Story of Civilization. we like to thank all of our Patreon backers for helping us bring you a brand new episode that's all about... Dear God, please don't let me back another Kickstarter that costs $100 because I can't afford to do these anymore, please. <laughs> <laughs> $150 this week. We're, we're going no. up a little bit. <laughs> yeah, so this week's episode is obviously like every week's episode, which is we talk about the latest and the greatest in board gaming, but we are, in fact, the only board game podcast, the or- the board game YouTube channel, the only board game twitch channel and basically we are that group of friends that you have that for some reason finds the need to back everything and this week we i know this week we're talking about mosaic a story of civilization that just popped up on kickstarter that as anthony mentioned is at 149 and yeah it is why why i know
0: We'll discuss this later. We'll get into it. But I will say this, and I'll mention this more later, but I did get in a Kickstarter today uh-huh. with a ridiculous amount of content that was $80. Oh. And it's amazing. And I'm very happy about it. We're going to talk about it in like two to three weeks. So when something comes up like this, it's $150. i am like, come on. Just <laughs> put it in the range where I can make myself say, sure. You put it that high out of, uh, what are you doing? What are you doing?
1: <laughs> yeah. So we will we will discuss our insane acquisition disorder, Extrained FOMO, on our feature review where we, well, I guess as a community, we try to work together to not back this enormously amazing project that is Mosaic, A Story of Civilization. So that's a lot of fun. But obviously for myself, for Anthony, for many of you, we're getting out and board gaming during this difficult period. Hopefully all of you are safe. Hopefully, all of you are having fun, and hopefully, all of you are getting ta- games to the table. And again, thank you so much for listening, and you know, stay safe because conventions are coming up soon in the future, and we hope to see you all at the table. So, Anthony, obviously, there's a lot going on with us, but let's talk about what's going on with listeners. What's our question of the week?
0: Yeah, let's let's dive right in. This is a fun one. Uh, we do this like once a year, but I like to hear what people think about once a year. what criteria do you use to cull your collection and how often do you do it? And there's a specific reason I'm thinking of this is because I am currently in the process of moving house. And I have not moved house in six years. And when I moved into this home, I had about 100 board games. And right now, according to Board Game Geek, I have about 600
1: board games,
0: (laughs) which is, I don't even know if that's accurate. I hope it's not, but it's a large volume and I need to cut that down by about half. So I'm in the culling process. I don't want to fill half the truck with board games. Um, So I asked our audience, our listeners, our viewers, everybody, how do you do this? What is your criteria? And everybody has their own. Uh, So Tim, good friend of the show, says he purges games when, A, everyone who played felt the game was broken or flawed in some way. Fair. If everybody who you would bring it to the table with doesn't like it because it's not working, get rid of it yes or b the target audience he brought it to play with didn't like it uh family or gaming group so even he if he kind of likes it like i'm the same way like if i like a game and everybody i bring to play it with is like nah i'm like all right well i should get rid of it because i'm never gonna play this then (laughs) unless it has a solo mode there's a couple games like that that have solo modes or unless it's spirium and then everybody can just shut up because they're wrong (laughs) (laughs) Um, i'll hold it until i find people who like it uh, but I'm I'm similar. I'll get rid of it. Um, David says, I really struggle to purge games, but space at home is becoming an issue. I now ask myself, when can you see yourself playing this next? And if the answer is probably never, it needs to seriously be considered to be moved on. Uh, games need to be played by people, not sit on the shelf. There are some emotional exceptions. I think that last one's important because I do have some games that I keep. My copy of Canterbury... Uh, from andrew parks i still have that on the shelf i'm never getting rid of it it's the first game i kickstarted. it's the first game i went to an event for andrew parks is a good friend we were you and i were there chris um with Mm -hmm. with other friends and i'm like i'm always gonna keep that i have not played it in seven years (laughs) no one wants anything to do with that game but i'm not getting rid of it so uh, and it's a good game they should play it but i'm not gonna get rid of it for emotional reasons (laughs) um Mm -hmm. ac holt says i live in an area where it is hard to sell games and trying to convince someone to pay for shipping is tricky as well that Mm -hmm. said i have a handful of games that either never get played will never get played or just terrible i do not have a set time for culling but do so throughout the year mainly because of space so this is a common theme most people mention space and then typically the main things that come into play are can i get other people to play it that's the main thing not do i like it but will other people play it with me and is there another game that does this particular thing better so mm-hmm. a few people mentioned that of you know i have four games they're all worker placement games about farming is one of them better than the rest if i can only get one to the table now sure i should make that consideration because i have like 12 of them and there's maybe two or three i can get to the table but i understand people who would go through that consideration. I'm going to keep all my Rosenbergs, but some people only need one. Uh, So I know, I know, Chris, you've talked about going through this recently yourself, like boxing up some stuff. Is there any criteria that you went through to put things into the boxes?
1: That's really hard. I mean, it was a very challenging event to go through. And I had tried, I had tried several times because for me personally, it was an emotional process because like you said, those games are connected to friends. Those games are connected right. to game nights. uh, Those games are connected to social experiences that I really enjoy. Board gaming is my social experience, you know, out there in the world. So I work very long hours and yeah, I give it a my all. So when I do socialize, it is board gaming based. So the, all of that is just challenging. And then on top of which is the idea that I paid money for these things. <laughs> and I... You know, as as a kid I grew up and we didn't have money and we didn't have things and I still don't have money and things, but I do have a substantial board game collection now and it's a it feels a little weird because before I had a board game collection, I had a little mini uh movie collection and a little mini uh book collection and I still you know, over the years one of the, one of the challenges is as you move, like you as you physically move to different places, inevitably you have to cull from everything. And I remember right you know, after years of going through multiple master's degrees and PhDs, it's like I had this extensive library of books, but every time you move, you just can't take everything with you. It's just too heavy. It's too expensive. There's not enough boxes and it's just, it breaks your heart every time. So the games again, is the same thing, which is like, these are for me collectible experiences like books. You know, they, they take me back to a time. They provide a world for me. They provide, a social engagement for me and they were expensive and I treated them with care. So the fact that you, like you and I, Anthony, we sleeve games, you know, we, we protect the components, you know, we buy massive Klex, you know, storage solutions. We buy board game bags to protect the game. Like the amount of things that we do to protect the games is kind of obsessive because it's, it's a cardboard product, right? Nonetheless, culling the games is difficult. And, and I think the other problem is that since we did spend money on them, since they do have an emotional connection, since they do have for us, at least for us, some sort of innate quality to them, then it's one of those things where it's, it would it would pain me just to throw them in the garbage. It would pain me to try to sell them on the market and get like maybe a quarter of what I paid for or what I feel it's valued. Um, and then at the same time, they're highly valuable in some cases where people would pay hundreds of dollars and sometimes depending on the right person, they're not worth anything. Like they're just like, I don't know, it's it's just like monopoly, right? You're like, oh God, you're killing me. So it's a very weird situation where for me, I've never sold a board game. I don't know how to do that at this point. I don't know if I want to do it because I don't wanna I don't wanna get involved in that because I feel like that's a slippery slope where now you're speculating on Kickstarters and you're trying right. to flip things. And I have friends that do that. So I'm always like, "Oh, good for you. I could never do that because there's there's an insanity behind that I don't I don't want to cross. Right. I don't <laughs> want to cross that. I don't want to I don't want to go past that curtain." So, I did for again, for the very first time as you mentioned Anthony, I boxed a large a large section of my games that was difficult to do and I did use a lot of our listeners' uh, criteria. So there were some games that I just felt were not good games, not necessarily broken, but just not good games. Like I would play them like, this is just not very good. And there's no way I could substantially, like it didn't have the emotional appeal or the financial, like this is just not a great game, not a bad game, but not great. So that was like, let's say one third of my collection that I called. Then a, probably another third, as you mentioned, is like, would anyone even play this? Like, like I have some games that are just like a box of minis with like, you know, a dozen pages of like rule sets and stuff. And I'm like, is anyone going to really want to sit down and go through this? No. So that, so that kind of gets to heave-ho kind of thing. And then obviously there are those games that are either problematic because of the theme, problematic because they require a special player count or a special player group, or they're oddly shaped in some cases and they just don't fit. Or, like you mentioned, and I really haven't done this in any kind of detail, but it does come down sometimes to, I have a game that's very similar to this in so many different ways. Why am I holding on to this particular version? I have better versions of this. So, theme never really, like, initially I was like, when I started getting into board games, I was like, oh, I should have one sci-fi game, one fantasy game, one farming game. And then now it's like, like you said, we have like a dozen Rosenbergs. I'm like, how much do, how much farming do I really want to do in my life? Right. Like, what, what am I, what am I preparing myself for? Like, what do I think the future is going to be like, you know? But nonetheless, there is that situation where, you know, I do have enough miniature games, enough take that games, enough games that like the other versions are better than that. So I do think like I, I did one of the, I did break one of the kind of cardinal rules, I guess a little bit, which was initially I was starting to collect designers, right? Like, so I, all the Felds or all the the Rosenbergs or all those things. And I still kind of hold to that in a way, but at this point I'm like, this is just not a good game in his collection. So why am I holding on to this? Like, I'm right. never going to play this. I like saying I have the majority of his stuff, but I'm never going to play this. This is not a good game. I can yeah. mentally let go of that. I can, I can let the completionist, <laughs> completionist of me go and, and move on. So I do have four very large boxes. I'm hoping that there's another charity event that we can pull together maybe by the end of the year. Uh, maybe uh, COVID is more tame at that point um, so that we could do some good with the games that we have to offer. So um, that also helps me cull like yeah i could i could help people or i could give these (laughs) games away to friends like i have a list of games now like i again the shipping is the problem right now because i don't get out to game nights and shipping is like hey would you like a free game it's gonna cost 40 dollars for me to ship it to you it's like well that's the price of the game (laughs) if i bought it new i'm like oh yeah Uh uh-huh but (laughs) once i think once i get back into the world my spreadsheet will be available to uh friends and you know, whatever people want, I would, I would rather give a game away than sell a game. It's just not worth the money. It's it's not worth the money. You know, the the small amount of money you would get for it for the aggravation that you have to go through. And I commend the people who do it, but like for, for the two hours, to box, to sit online, to, to mail it, the addresses, the, the PayPal's or whatever else, just take the game. Like, you know, (laughs) just do it. Yeah, and I think the funny thing too, Anthony, is is that, you know, um, all of these challenges happen every day when we look at our collections. But honestly, the one problem, and I'm going to bring this back because just honestly, I have to say this. We have complained because we've done the podcast for like eight years now. And we've said time and time again, dear God, please stop producing games that are like this many components, like a handful of components in a giant box. And everyone's like, well, it's cheaper. It's easier for us. You never know. Why are you complaining? It's got shelf appeal. And we're like, yeah, no, shelves don't shelves do not do any more appealing. There's the, the, <laughs> right. the day of the friendly local game store is in the sunset of its days, right? You can put a picture of it online. A game doesn't sell because it has a big box. A game always sells because it's a good game, right? right? I don't have room to buy more games. So if you're a publisher out there and you're not making the money you think you should be making, it's because – the games that are out there are taking up half to two thirds of my space. Empty board game boxes—it's driving me nuts. Ah. Yeah, ah. I,
0: I will. I will say that's true. My my number two game of all time is Root. It comes in a box like this big. It is packed full of content. Pack it, pack it full, guys. Pack it. And um, if you
1: want to, if you want if you want to have expansions, when the expansion comes out make a box that's big enough to hold the main game and the expansion, but don't come out with these giant core boxes that has like five components in it. You're killing us. It's too much. It's too dang much. Yeah. No, I'm with you, man.
0: Like I have a whole closet full of stuff. I, I made a list. I had prices on it. And then like, I hit the point where I'm like, I'm not going to ship these. I'm not going to track people down to sell them. So I shared it with all my friends and I'm like, who wants games? If you don't live in Pittsburgh, Pay for shipping, I don't care <laughs> like, yeah, please get these out of my closet because if I get to the point like in July when I'm about to move and they're still in my closet, I have to get rid of them. I don't know where they're gonna go, please take them off my hands, so sure,
1: yeah, again, it's part of the, it's part of the hobby that we often don't talk about, and we appreciate everyone hitting us up with that and again, um there's a lot of really good ways to do that, so. Um, not to mention if you have really great games that you want to get rid of, I'm just saying, I'll take them just saying (laughs) that's fine. I'll take them. I I always, always looking forward to having some more great games in my collection. So a lot of fun. All right. So uh, again, thank you all for hitting us up on Facebook and Twitter. The question of the week. In fact, the question of the day comes out every day on Facebook and Twitter. Of course, boardgamersanonymous.com is our world famous website. In fact, I just showed it off to a couple of uh, big publishers, and they were pretty shocked that um, that was actually a thing. That actually, there's a that there are not just podcasts, not just YouTube channels, not just Twitch, not just right. TikTok, not just Instagram, but you know, there are actual websites that have all of this content on there. There is owned and- media out there. We own it. We run it. <laughs> we post it. Please read it. <laughs> yeah. So please go on to uh, check out the website. You'll be surprised. It has. It has a lot of great content out there. And we're always looking for more. So if you ever want to create some content and you want to put it on a website, we're looking forward to it. All right, everyone. So that's what's going on with you. Again, thank you so much for hitting us up. And thank you for so much for sharing our question of the week with so many people. It's some really good conversation to get out there and just some general good support to let everyone know what's going on in board gaming. All right, Anthony. So that's what's going on with our listeners. Let's talk about what's going on with us. Let's talk about our question of the week. And then moving on to our acquisition disorders. All
0: right. I got something digital this week. Uh, Chris, you actually shared this with me this morning. I did. I was like, I'm in. <laughs> I want this. Uh, and that is Oink Games Plus. This is Crazy. a Kickstarter running right now to play Oink Games on your Nintendo Switch. I've had a Nintendo Switch since it launched in 2017, a little over four years now. I have played several board games on here. It's become like quite the popular uh platform after Steam to port board games onto. And this is a Kickstarter to put a bunch of Oink games onto the Nintendo Switch. So, the initial two that they're targeting are Deep Sea Adventure, which is their biggest hit. I think they've said they on the Kickstarter they say they've sold 200,000 copies. Uh, of of the physical version of this game which is crazy to me because getting this outside of japan is very difficult you can really only get it at a convention occasionally an online site gets copies in and they're kind of marked up like 30 40 dollars for this little tiny box but deep sea adventure is very good it's a very solid press your luck kind of game you're diving down you have to get back it's like clank without all the junk around it it's just get down there get back first and survive that's it deep sea adventure um we, I had a lot of fun with it. I played it at a couple of conventions. I really enjoy it. I the second copy. game, oh, I need a copy, man. <laughs> <laughs> um, the second game is Startups, which it's funny because they say, oh, uh, an online review site made this game really popular. It's Shut Up and Sit Down. They talked about 10 Oink Games <laughs> is one of the ones they talked about and it made it really popular. So they sold a lot of copies of Startups. But the basic idea is there are six different companies. People invest in them and you're trying to like develop it's like a basic economic game because Oink games all come in tiny little boxes. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's cute little artwork, lots of fun little stuff. So like one of them is like hippo power tech. It's like a hippopotamus with like a little plug sticking out of its butt. Um, like it's cute. It's fun. And so that's the second one. Um, the other two that they have listed that are not unlocked yet are Moon Adventure and A Fake Artist Goes to New York. And A Fake Artist Goes to New York was like their big popular game before Deep Sea Adventure came out. It hasn't sold quite as many copies, but it's, it's like a Pictionary type of thing with like more gamified than normal. Um, they've also listed In a Grove, which is another game about people or witnesses in a crime scene and your goal is to find the murderer. So kind of like a group deduction type of game. And then they have an another six stretch goals they haven't revealed yet, which I'm pretty sure are just going to be more games because Oink Games yeah. has done like 20, 25 games. A lot of them are perfect for digital. And why would they not do that? So uh, the basic idea here is you back this at the, there's a 2,500 yen level, which is like $23 US. And you're going to download code for Oink Games Plus, And that's going to include any of the games that get unlocked here. So right now, I, I don't think they've even hit their limit yet. So their goal is 27,000, which is like 300,000 yen. And they're at like 14,000, but this just went up today. So it'll probably hit it. So once they hit that, they unlock those first two games. And then each 100% they go over that, they unlock another game. So the higher they go, the more games get unlocked. And I'm excited. I think a lot of these will be a lot of fun. Uh, Some of them are supposedly going to work locally. I think a fake artist goes to New York kind of has to work locally. So sure. We'll see how that works. Um so if they get like five, six, seven, up to ten games on here, I will 100 percent be in at like a $23 for that for you know 10 Oink games, which are typically like $30, $40 each to get physical copies of. I'm all about that. So um keep your eye on that. Uh there is options on here as well to get in on the beta early to, to get back that you get on the beta. You can also pledge for physical rewards because they just did a physical kickstarter back in february for their newer game set uh Mm -hmm. so if you want like physical copies of their newest games you can do that as well uh so if you've never played an oink game check them out they're amazing this is like huge conventions because they always have a booth at like the big conventions they're hard to get outside of that but every one of these i've played i've had fun with even if i don't own them i enjoy them so oink games plus uh hopefully coming to nintendo switch at the end of the year I will have it saved right now. I will back it if they unlock a couple more games.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I don't own a Switch, but this was something I was really excited about because, as you said, I I do like their little games. Some are better than others. Deep Sea Adventure is definitely a hit. A friend of mine had it. I played it, and I was like, oh, I, I definitely want to own that. And again, it's one of those games that is so nicely, neatly packed in this little tiny box and it's, you know, it's whatever it is, four inches by two inches, whatever. And it's just it's just a good game. It's just a normal press-your-luck game. And it gets a lot of attention. It gets a lot of game time with that. So their other games are good, too. I haven't played all of them, not even near all of them. And like you said, we have only seen mm-hmm. them at conventions. Their Kickstarters are up. They're fairly expensive because you are getting a game shipped pretty far away <laughs> so yeah uh, this is a good this is a good option i like this this is really a good option all right so i'm going to talk about another kickstarter that's currently up that is an interesting option it's called ice this is a current kickstarter that has already backed surpassed its goal and it's will back completely on monday may 31st 2021 of course now, ice, or according to its, its uh, description here, snow, as far as the eye can see, lead your archaeological expedition to uncover artifacts, exploration, tile mining collection. Now, this is the first game from a company called This Way. This is their first created game, and it's a company uh, that's been formed by two brothers. And again, I know this seems odd. And this is reminds me of way back in the day where the only games that were really kickstarted were games that really needed to be kickstarted, where they just didn't have the funding. They were mom and pop kind of company, or in this case, two brothers kind of company. And they really needed people's support in order to make these things happen. Now, in particular, what drew my attention to this game was a couple of different things. But the artwork here is unique and outstanding it's atmospheric it's very different than usual it's it's something that i think just that alone um is worth your time and attention uh leonardo d uh is the illustrator and the graphic design alexis v uh, also beautiful job here so i recommend taking a look at the game if for no other reason from the artwork i think the artwork is a sight to behold it really does give you the thematic feel and appeal as if you were kind of mining down in this wondrous kind of ice cavern. Now, the game itself is interesting because you do have your own particular leader and everyone is utilizing archaeologists and miners and support and camps to be able to dig down into the ice. This is a really interesting part of the game because basically what you're looking at is the game board is this giant ice sheet. It comes in four separate parts and each of the parts is a different level deeper. So what you're looking at is about five, six levels deep. And each of them are like these hexagon kind of tiles. And what you're doing is you are having your miners and your archaeologists, you know, crack through the ice, find these rare artifacts, which are just on the other side of the tile, and then add them to your display because they're going to give you special powers and abilities, but also unique things will happen throughout the game. So you go through that first level, And then there's more below it, and, you know, you can see people are digging through the ice in different parts of the board. You have to be careful because ice can fall in. You could lose, you know, your miners. You could lose your archaeologists. You could even lose your team leaders to have to go back to the board. So it's a very interesting different game, and I love the idea that there's multiple levels to this player board as you dig through. And there are different guilds, and these different guilds um, have the opportunity to build together based upon their artifacts that they collect to gain special powers throughout the game. So each of these hexagon tiles will have different abilities, different effects, different things that come about, and you're showing off all of these different resources that you're able to pick up throughout the game. So as you dig, you're seeing like, wow, look, there's an artifact, but it's kind of covered by ice. Oh, you dig a little deeper. Oh, I could see it a little bit clearer, and then you dig even deeper, and now you actually have the artifact itself, whether it's inactive or activated in the game, and, eventually you finally get to the bottom and, you, and you're and you able to locate really the goals of the game because there are decree cards in the game, what the game wants you to do. There are special request cards because you're looking for certain kind of artifacts in the game. It's just a really smart, beautiful little game. I don't know if it has the complexity to kind of hold your interest long term, but it has a lot of different game modes. So you could play it in a lot of different ways. So this campaign is currently up, and it might be something you might be interested in. i recommend taking a look at it. Um, Again, this is a first-time designer, so we are always a little cautious when we see something like this. But again, it looks like all the artwork is complete. The game board is complete as far as that's concerned. There are multiple backing levels. Most of the backing levels are to receive additional artwork. But you could pick this game up for about $100, or you can go even a little further and pick it up for $120, again, if you want to pick up the extra stuff uh that is ice it's available right now so take a look on kickstarter i was
0: like oh that sounds cute it sounds fun it sounds interesting and then you said the prices and i was like mm.
1: yeah that's your first time designer price i i think that's ah, part and parcel of the kind of situation so that they money. are it is a lot of money and it's all i mean it's 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 not an american release obviously right um but again what we have to remember is you are typically paying for the artwork right you can't that's that's the challenge of a game we when anthony and i got into board gaming you know this it was always like why are these games 40 50 60 dollars and it was like the artwork is terrible but the, the right. components are terrible like but the mechanics are brilliant and now it's like the mechanics are good but the artwork is exceptional right like yeah. you put a lot of money into the artwork and you're like should I still buy this? So yeah. So again, I think it's something to take a look at, whether it reaches your particular needs or goals. But I think it would be a mistake to just overlook it um, because it is a first-time designer. And a lot of times a lot of these big board game companies just kind of swallow up the inte- you know, all the attention based on their kind of big campaigns. Right. All right. So that's every game that we've talked about ours or our acquisitions. Anthony, let's get to the games that hit the table. And we'll let those people know if those games are a buy and they should run out and pick those games up. If those games are a play and they should sit down and play them. If those games are a dodge and they should avoid them. Or if those games are a burn and maybe they should just be buried at the bottom of an ice sheet. So what do you have for us this week?
0: All right. Yeah, I have have a simple one, a quick one. Uh, It is called Agropolis. This is the follow-up to Sprawlopolis, which is one of my favorite. (laughs) Well, it is my single favorite button-shy game. And I don't want to hear it, Chris, about oh, the Button Shy games. They're amazing. Ah. Uh, but but Sprawlopolis is legitimately one of my favorite solo games of all time. I can play it in about five minutes. And whenever I pull it out, I'll play it five times, right? Just back to back. It's amazing. Um, so, Agropolis went up on Kickstarter about three months ago because that's the turnaround time in Button Shy games. You back it, and within three months, you get a copy. It's amazing. And sure. it is. They say it's not like an expansion. It's more of like a spiritual successor. Uh, and that's true because it it's not a direct expansion to Sprawlopolis. There is an expansion that comes with Agropolis that allows you to combine them called Combopolis. <laughs> so you can play both games together. But generally, you play this on its own. Uh, so instead of Sprawlopolis, which has like your residential, your commercial, your industrial locations... Uh, This is farming locations. So you have, you know, like orchards and wheat fields and livestock pens and vineyards. And they kind of follow the similar rules that you have in And So just real quick, how that game works is you have a deck of 18 cards. You're going to take three of them. You're going to flip them face over. And on the other side, you're going to have three scoring conditions. And that's what you're trying to accomplish in the game. And then you're going to have three cards at a time. And I'm I'm talking about the solo rules here. This does play with two players, but it's primarily a solo game. Mm -hmm. You will then place one card at a time. Um, There's like a starting card that goes on the center of the table. And you just kind of build off from there. And you can place them either adjacent or overlapping any of the four little rectangles on each of the cards. Uh, There are roads on every card. And so every road that you build on your opolis whether it's agropolis or sprawlopolis is a negative point in the game right so every road in the system costs you something but so you know you're trying to combine as many roads as you can but there's also other conditions right you get points for the largest group of each type of terrain so in this case the largest group of orchards or wheat fields or livestock pens or vineyards And then the three scoring cards give you special scoring conditions. And so there's 18 of those that come in each in in the game period. Right. And they're going to be different every time because you're only drawing three of them. So it might be, you know, you get two points for every road that runs adjacent to a vineyard and minus one point for every road that runs adjacent to a pig pen. Right. So you have to kind of maneuver where the roads go, make sure they're all next to the vineyards and not next to the pig pens. The reason this one's different from sprawlopolis is that the, tiles themselves vary right so in the original game you had those four types of locations and that was basically it there weren't a lot of tweaks except the mini expansions in this one you have the pens are all different so it can be all the different types of livestock there's pigs there's chickens there's cows and then they're split in half on each of the cards but then there's also different types of you know orchards or wheat fields or vineyards or whatever So there's variability on the individual cards. And then you have kind of the overall value that you're trying to target. So the three cards that you pull out that are your scoring conditions, you add up the value at the top of each of those cards. And that's what you're trying to target as a solo player. Like if you hit that score, you win. If you get below that, you lose. If you get negative points, you're me and you keep playing, right? (laughs) So um, you get a lot of negative scoring games and So that's a lot of fun because you get just ridiculous variability. The game plays really quickly. It is very brain burning. It's difficult to get these things. Like you have the three scoring conditions, but each of them is like, do this, but not this. So you have three things telling you to do X, but not Y. And then the (laughs) base game telling you to do X, but not Y, because you have to build the largest sections, but then not have too many roads. So you have like four of these different, like if then statements in your head and you're trying to overlap all of them and you almost always mess it up. You're like, all right, cool. I got five groups of big vineyards. It's great. I got a ton of points from that. And you're like, no, nah, I got like 13 roads though. <laughs> like a negative 13 points. Great. I got, sure. I got zero. Um, so it, it's a lot of fun. Uh, I don't feel like it's super different from sprawlopolis. Um, you know, that's the goal, obviously. You want more content, more variability, more engagement with the core mechanics that is Sprawlopolis. And it's different, and I will play it separately, but it feels the same. You know, If they were going for a different feeling in the game, like this is a different game with the same core idea, I don't think they quite got there. It feels like Sprawlopolis with another expansion layered on top. Now, I have not played the Combopolis combining the two which i feel like (laughs) might take it to the next level because then you have cards from both sets and scoring conditions from both sets uh but all that said i love this system sprawlopolis is one of my favorite games of all time it was in my top 100 when we did that in december so this is definitely a buy because if you can get a copy of the convention or off their website it's like ten dollars so one thousand percent pick it up um if you prefer the urban setting pick up sprawlopolis also amazing there's four or five mini expansions for that game there's two or three mini expansions for this game but the core system the sprawlopolis system that we have here in agropolis so good if you're looking for a solo game that you can carry (laughs) in your pocket and play in five minutes this is the one like if in my opinion it's the one
1: you should own so check it out agropolis it's a buy wow that's high praise if this is the one out of is this the one out of all the button flies oh yeah yeah for sure okay uh and i, I wouldn't say agropolis over
0: sprawlopolis because i think it's more of a theme preference like if you don't sure. want a farming game get the city game um honestly i would say get both of them and throw them together but um yeah it, it's really really good they have a lot of really good games Buttonfly, but sprawlopolis is their best game especially if you're a solo player so definitely check it out
1: yeah and i make a joke about that because again it's it's one of these little games the little just it's a little kit with a little button um and it's kind of funny because that's how i think about it like you said it's like something you put in your jeans pocket you know like the button fly jeans and here you have a little game with the button fly but these button shy games um you know it's one of those situations where they are they are like the oink games a lot right like they are very small games they're I wouldn't say inexpensive, but fairly inexpensive for that kind of game experience that you can have for them. Yeah, I mean, I mean, these are like twelve bucks each. I know that they were on Kickstarter at some point. I just always feel like is the the still the time. Like like you said, this is a very like unique situation. Like you're out on your own. You're maybe you go to a cafe and you just want something you could throw down the table. This works, right? Yeah. So that that might work perfectly well for that kind of scenario. Uh, Maybe for something else, like trying to get to game night, you could play this with more people. So like that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Like as far as like the agriculture side, not my thing. You know, I don't necessarily want to put together a horrible collection of roads and agriculture things. But uh, like you said, maybe Spiralopolis would be more my thing as far as like that kind of interest is concerned
0: yeah i I think you'd like that one um i I don't Mm -hmm. think you'd like agropolis because it doesn't do enough differently to warrant it it, like having this over the other one for the other theme but yeah i've taken this on airplanes i've taken it on trains i've taken it to coffee shops i've played it Mm -hmm. while watching tv because i can set it up and play it in five minutes sure honestly it's the kind of game where like if i'm like i really want to play a game right now and i also really want to go to bed in 20 minutes this is the game <laughs> i'll gotcha. pull off the shelf because i'm like i can just play it real quick and then put it away and the put away sure. time is zero because it's just a deck of cards you swipe it all together and you throw it away um and so i've probably played sprawlopolis more times in the last year year and a half than any other game because of how quickly i can play it so gotcha. more of that muy bueno <laughs>
1: Well, we didn't plan it this way, but my game this week is very similar to your game this week. I'm talking about a game that's quick to play. Uh, It's a two-player game, and this is the faster version of already fast games. So this is Patchwork Express. So probably for many of you, you already know Patchwork, so I'm going to add a little bit more information on Patchwork Express if you've already played Patchwork. But again, Patchwork Express and Patchwork and all the different variations of the game are primarily about building or constructing or sewing together. I guess it's probably the best way to say it. a patchwork quilt utilizing polyominoes. So Anthony's always like, Chris doesn't like polyominoes. I do like polyominoes when it's a really good game. So uh, this is my exception to the rule. This is my exception where the game works out really well. Um, in fact, you know, I'm, I'm showing on camera. So again, if you are watching, or listening to this on our YouTube channel on Friday, you'll actually get to see, hey, look, it's Patchwork. I actually own a copy. See? polyomino's live. And then, you know. Now, the reason why I'm showing Patchwork here, and again, it's a very small box. Uh, you know, this is a game that you can get, you know, out to table, look out games. And this is a game that for me was obviously a buy. And this was a game that shot up to the charts, especially, Because this is an Uwe Rosenberg game. And for me, this is the best version. For me, the best version of his Polyominoes games. Now, the reason why I'm showing you Patchwork, if you're watching the video, and if you're not, follow along. Because nonetheless, it's true. Is because I did put Patchwork and Patchwork Express in the same box. Because again, I wanted to keep every box, every board game box, even the expansions. But the industry broke me. So now we're sticking things together. And I'm living that kind of life now. It's not cool. I'm not happy with it, but it's, it's how I have to live now. All right. <laughs> so two games in one box, not happy about it. But in fact, one of the things I did do in order to remind myself is the back of the box is patchwork express. Ah, so I've actually done this with CV. I have CV and civil civilization. I stuck that in the same box too. So why I'm showing this because visually, I think you need to see this and, and, if you're just listening to this, I'm gonna make I'm gonna explain the primary difference. Patchwork has smaller polyominoes of more unique shapes. Patchwork Express has larger polyominoes with simpler shapes. In fact, the games are identical with the exception of Patchwork Express is a board that's the same size, but the spaces are bigger because here again the pieces are bigger and they're simpler. In fact, when you play Patchwork Express, after you go around, there's five tiles left. You put in these very simple blue tiles that are very simple shapes, mostly squares and rectangles and things like that, that you can easily finish out your design. Other than that, there's no seven by seven rule in order to get like bonus, you know, buttons in order. And the board itself, as far as circling around in order to get the additional patches is a lot simpler, a lot quicker, and you get a lot more patches. So it's a lot quicker, easier, simpler of a game to get to the table to play with any number of people. This obviously plays better for people who don't play hobby board games or for kids because they can obviously be able to utilize it a lot better than anything else, right? Because the other polydomino, they could still do it. It's not that they couldn't do it, but nonetheless, this allows for a quicker, simpler, easier way to engage with the game. And honestly, that's what patchwork should be. Um, I would love to see a more complex version of patchwork. I don't know what's the opposite of Patchwork Express. Patchwork, I don't know sludge or slowdown or bottleneck or I, I don't know what the what the right you know adjective would be there, but nonetheless, uh, Patchwork Express is a buy. It is definitely a simpler game. I do prefer the regular version of Patchwork. There's also a holiday version I, I talked about it in an early acquisition during the holiday season. I probably would even prefer that even more just because it's a little brighter and a little more colorful. So Patchwork Express is a buy. If you either own Patchwork, I recommend getting the other one if you wanted to get it to more people and get it done quicker. I dig me some
0: Patchwork. I never actually ended up playing this version. I do own a copy somewhere uh, because I thought my kids will like this. But honestly, they play the original version just fine. We got the holiday version over the holidays and they were playing that. Sure. So uh, I have not had a chance to play this, but
1: I'm sure they would also like it just fine. (laughs) (laughs) It's all the same stuff, like you said, with uh, Sporlopolis. And, you know, it's just a different version. It's more of the same, but slightly twisted, tweaked a little bit. So all right. Right. All right, so our feature review this week is one that we have been dreading because we want to back Mosaic, A Story of Civilization. But thankfully, our feature review is, talk me out of buying or backing this game. So for this feature review, I will be talking about the new Kickstarter, Mosaic, from our friends at Forbidden Games. And it is a civilization game that you can get done under two hours. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But Mosaic, A Story of Civilization, is an action selection board game where you guide an ancient civilization from its founding to its ultimate fate in history. And just to kind of make it a little obvious and basic, it's civilization in the Mediterranean. (laughs) Whoa, big surprise there. (laughs) Woo! (laughs) Woo! (laughs) What What a radical take there. So... Yes. So again, if you haven't played civilization games before, typically they are very generally about, again, building up your civilization, utilizing different resources and technology. There is, you know, somewhat a 4X element to it as you are exploring and exterminating and you're building throughout the game. So it has a lot of different elements, and civilization games are not easy like seriously they're not easy to put together they're not easy to get to the table but they are some of the most satisfying board games out there because you do feel like you are building up a civilization and you are making dramatic you know historical decisions with you know tremendously famous leaders and world changing you know military combat so anthony uh what do you know about uh civilization games you're you're a bit of a fan right I love civilization games. Yeah, no it's it's one of my favorite genres
0: of game. The the problem is is that you get two buckets of civilization games and then a handful of games that fit the middle. You've got the ridiculously overly long, super complicated 5000-bit games which <laughs> I don't have a problem with necessarily. I still enjoy them, but it's impossible to play them. So this is like your DMT sure. stuff. Like you're, you know, western empires or eastern empires your ancient civilizations <laughs> of the whatever you know your mega civilization all that stuff uh and then you've got your super boiled down not really a civilization game but hey let's use the theme anyways type of games like tapestry um That's true or like some of those games i like civilization new dawn i really enjoy even though it's not really a full 4x civilization game and then a small number fit in the middle, right? You've got Nations through sure. the Ages, uh, Clash of Cultures with the new, like, the various starting uh, civilizations that you get in the Monumental Edition. Mm-hmm. There's a few, and they work, and they're amazing, but they're narrow, they're often very mm-hmm. expensive, and they're also still yeah. too long. <laughs> <Like>. <laughs> Nations is one of my favorite games of all time, but I don't play that with other people because it takes three to four hours and people don't want to play a four hour Civ game. So every year or so, every 12 to 18 months, somebody comes along and they claim, hey, we figured it out. (laughs) We've got a civilization game. We can do it in 90 minutes. We got this. It's got all the four X's. You're good to go. And you're like, all right, I'm going to try it. And then you play it and you're like, it's like 1.8 x's it's not yeah. like you got rid of the combat or you got rid of the technology or you got rid of the exploration and then you just boil down to these simple things and it's yeah. still a fine game but it's not a full civ game so that's like that's where i come into any kickstarter like this where they're
1: claiming all these things where i'm like is it though is yeah. it and that's and that's gonna be one of the questions that you and I have to ask Anthony because you and I are big civilization board game fans and we all we you know own I, I think all of them combined. I mean Through the Ages is one of, of both of our favorites. Seven Wonders, obviously one of our big favorites and all the different, you know, empire ages of all those things, nations, as you mentioned earlier. So let me talk a little bit about the game and why it's so attractive and why you might want to back the game. So right off the bat This is from designer Glenn Drover. Now, he's already done Age of Empires III, which you might have had a chance to play. So that's a solid, significant civilization game. He's also developed Railways of the Road, Raccoon Tycoon, Lizard Lizard Wizard, which are not civilization games. But again, it's good that he's gotten some other games out there, with forbidden games. So what this game looks like, if you haven't seen it yet... Is again, we're looking at the Mediterranean and the surrounding country areas there. You're not controlling one of those civilizations to start off with. Basically, what you're going to be doing throughout the game is building up civilizations on multiple um, country states out there, nation states out there. And you're going to be dropping different um, wonders and different cities and, and different villages out there. Now, basically, your game is all about your own personal game board. So your personal game board will come with or be given out to you a leader card. Now, right now, there are nine leader cards. I'm hoping that there's more because what we're looking at is is a possibility of a six-player game. So nine leader cards is a little thin. Yeah. They don't do the thing, Anthony, that I was really surprised with. They didn't go with historical leaders.
0: Yeah, it's a weird decision, you know, like... That's that's like one of the core things. Like you play civilization, you got Gandhi yelling at you. That's that's part of the game, right? <laughs> this crazy warmongering Gandhi. You're like, what are you doing? But here they're just different roles, right? You got general, magistrate, yeah. engineer, scribe. And then they kind of match them up to different civilizations in the artwork. They do, but it, they're and not they're very- specific people. And I I do wonder why they did that.
1: I don't know. I mean, I, I like the idea that you could almost play th- these anywhere, but also at the same time, like you mentioned, they're missing out on kind of entrenching thematically in a certain civilization. These leader cards remind me very much of uh, Kingsburg, where the mm. even the artwork and like, hey, here's an artist, here's a philosopher, here's a farmer, here's a miner, right? It's one of those things where it's like, oh, I've seen these before. Now, basically, these leader cards are going to give you starting resources and a special ability or special abilities in the game. They're also, and this is the kind of thing that I think that we need to have a longer con- you know, conversation another day about the impact of board games on the industry. The leader cards also have a symbol on them. And as we talk about this, a lot of cards have symbols on them and a lot of cards need symbols. So this kind of plays a little bit like Terraforming Mars, where you have to collect the certain number of symbols based upon whatever it is that you're scoring that's going to score you points. Or, again, collect the number of symbols in order to be able to purchase or employ certain cards. So right. beyond the leaders are technology cards. Now, Anthony, for me, this is where I love Civ games. <laughs> I love a tech tree. I love different technologies. I love imagining that my civilization's building up. They did a great job here, 97 technology cards, you know, from things from like astronomy to plants to armor to art, a lot of different variability here. I think this is really where the game makes or breaks because everything else is kind of basic. It's like, hey, here's population cards, here's building cards, but technology cards, the tech tree is always the most interesting thing for me when I play a civilization game.
0: 100% agree yeah it's it's yeah. honestly the one thing that broke tapestry for me is the complete mm. lack of theme around the tech tree sure where you could get like space age technology and then after that do nails <laughs> you know it, it didn't work and some people are like oh come on you know you're taking it too seriously i'm like it's a Civ game the sure. point is that you're building up if you're not building up then it's not a Civ game it's just a Civ theme thrown on another game and that's all that game was uh so i'm all about the tech tree here but i guess the problem i have is that i look at like acquisition tiles they have the wonder tiles the golden age tiles the achievement tiles there's only nine of each right yes and so like if you look at almost any other game in the wonders there's usually more than nine i mean there's seven wonders of the ancient world and then you have the whole rest of the world right so are we only doing the ancient world and if that's the case Can we clarify that a little bit? It's not really a Civ game if we're talking about like, you know, 500 years of antiquity. I, I don't know. I want more. And that's the problem that that is kind of the catch 22 of any Civ game is you want more, but you don't want it to take six hours. Right. Sure. And so they're building a game. That's not going to take six hours. They're like, it's only two hours. It's going to be quick. Yeah. Cool. That's awesome. And then you look at the list of stuff and you're like, Oh, you only got 37 buildings and you only got like you know you only got like these nine wonders what are you doing and they're like well if we added more it would take longer
1: and they're like yeah but there's only
0: nine so
1: yeah uh, and and I, I i think from a like you said from a design point of view that where you know like we said the technology cards a tech tree like you said tapestry i like the fact that tapestry did go from like basically prehistoric i don't know if it was prehistoric but it was at least early antiquity to like the space age. You don't see that in many games, maybe civilization, the board game kind of here. This one is certainly not a very long civilization. This is a really kind of short, um, you know, point in history, like, you know, however many generations it was, but I think, I think you make a perfect point, Anthony here that the build cards here are generic. The population cards are generic The tax and tariff. I like to see, that's interesting because what's interesting about those, th- you know, the three sets of cards is that they're variable. So you might get a tax that um, is giving you more money. The next card that flips over to be available might be less successful or less uh, beneficial to you. So I don't know thematically how that makes sense, you know, or like how it makes sense that you can get, you know, additional two population by paying twelve wheat, but later in the game one population but you only have to pay five wheat. Like, how how is that a thing? But nonetheless, again, there's variability as far as that's concerned. But I think the thing that they were looking to do was they were trying to build the Wonders, the Golden Age tiles, which are victory point kind of base tiles, the Civilization Achievement tiles. Again, those are victory point based, based upon whatever kind of specialty you're going for. So the in order to do a two-hour system, they very tightly enclosed it on mm-hmm. really basic things right like did you build enough you know uh, what enough projects or wonders did you build enough population did you build enough production you know did you get enough food did you get enough of these symbols right we go back to the, the terraforming Mars where these golden age tiles should be like amazing it's like it's architecture you needed to have six six of those symbols in order to be able to do that and now you get a bonus which is great. But again, boiling it down, it's always that question where like you want to play something that's playable and available, but at what point do you lose the thematic appeal and you lose the civilization game? Right, like you said, tapestry. Right, at what point did it just go off the off the rails? And here right. we're looking at that similar civilization. Like six, there's six government tiles, so there's six different governments you can choose from. Again. Based upon if you meet the particular conditions, which is very smart. And I love the idea that governments here, because when you play through the ages, I love that the government is really important on what you're able to do and what you're able to build and your population. But here you get six. Again, I don't know. I mean, Anthony, you have a lot of civilization games. What where's the line? Is there a game that really does it well as far as it's playable, but it's still a civilization game? Is is like Where does this fit? Where do you feel this fits?
0: I don't know, man. I don't think anybody's really nailed it yet. Um, Okay. Clash of Cultures might be the closest. That game is two to three hours. (laughs) And the challenge now with Clash of Cultures is that they printed it. The base game was fine. The expansion was amazing. You could never find the expansion. And now if you want all the content, it's $150 like this thing. Yep, yep, yep. uh, So we get in the same stupid boat. Um, Nations is very good, but still a little long with three to four players. It's now affordable. You can get that game for like 60, 70 dollars, which is I think acceptable. Sure. Um I I honestly can't get over the price of this game. I just honestly like everything you're no. talking about, the mechanics. I'm like, it's fine. I'm I'm okay with that. I want to play it. I want to try it. And then I just look at the pricing where they're like, this is what the retail is, this is what you get. And I'm just like no those
1: numbers are stupid <laughs> I just well here it. here's the other thing with this game that makes it so very attractive now we didn't mention i just want to mention ever so briefly that one of the big parts of this game is obviously picking up resources that are scattered throughout the game so there are trade goods that are available and there's different currencies throughout the game so there are idea tokens that you need in order to do science and technology there are stone tokens that you need to build stone in order to build buildings and their food tokens, obviously to build a population. This is where Kickstarter is either the greatest thing in the world or just a nightmare. Because as you said, this game is $150 because of course they want you to buy all the plastic miniatures and all the coins, you know, all the upgrades for this. And you look at it and you're just like, dear God, these are beautiful 3d sculptures and with this game, you receive 351 of these. Now, some of these are just figures, right? Some of these are just soldiers and workers and things like that. Some of these are actual wonders. There's, there's, as Anthony mentioned, there's only a couple of those. But that's where there's either just... You just fall in love with this game and you want to run out and back it. Or you just, like, are repelled because it's just, again, it's $149. The game, as far as the Civ game is concerned, as we talked about this earlier... The complexity is not really there as far as maybe what you'd want for a Civ game, but the production is certainly there.
0: Yeah. I mean, so here's how I'm thinking about it, right? So production-wise, this is on par with Twilight Imperium 4th Edition. You've got about 350 or so miniatures slash upgrades, whatever. And that's about the same as TI4, which is also $150. Yes. Yes. TI4 is one of the best games of all time. (laughs) Like... It's just hands down. It's twenty years of iteration and optimization and improvement coming from yeah. one of the best board game producers in the world. Sure, with some of the best molds and all the different pieces, and just it's a, it's amazing. The production's amazing. This game is on Kickstarter from a designer we all know and love, yes. Glenn Drover. Does amazing work, but we don't know anything about this game. We've not played it. We haven't seen it. It looks relatively medium weight like it's Mm -hmm. giving me like a Gong vibe of like i would probably enjoy this (laughs) but i feel like you're throwing a lot of bling at a game that's probably like a 2.9 on the weight scale and i'm like i don't think that's really worth it and then you're asking me for 150 dollars and you're saying hey you get a 350 pieces with it i'm like great that's my money's worth but is the game my money's worth and i just i feel like if you're weighing the three different pieces and putting them on the scale, does it all balance out? And this is coming from someone like when I first saw this, I was like, oh, this looks really cool. I'm like, I'm like looking at it. It's really getting like really intrigued by it. And then honestly, the thing that got me the most, which is good timing because we're talking about this today on the podcast, yeah, is my copy of Kemet, Blood and Sand, came in today, which Ooh. was $80 <laughs> and that box is packed and it's got yeah like almost 200 miniatures and pieces in it as well all the bonuses the upgrades the expansions the game up pieces i got the mat i got the the expansion that was supposed to be cthulhu but now it's not you know the, the sleeves and i think i spent 105 110 total for all of that and that's a game that i've played before and i love and they've iterated on and made it better and it will be on my shelf for years this game i've I don't know anything about it. And they're asking for $150. So I'm just like, I just, I know we, at the end of the day, like we, we keep coming back to money on these things. And I don't think that's necessarily the beginning or end all of any decision on Kickstarter. Like there's plenty of games I've spent way more money on than I want to because it does certain things really well. But in this case, I just don't see the gameplay, at least what they're showing me, Bearing out beyond what I've experienced in other Civilization games or other games of this price, and, yeah. and that just makes it hard for me to look at this and be like, sure. And I wouldn't back it at the eighty dollar level and just get no. none of the plastic, you know? Like, sure, you're asking me eighty bucks for what is probably a fifty dollar game, or one hundred and fifty for what is a hundred and fifty dollar game, but have I? I don't really know anything about it, so I don't know. That's where I'm at. I would love to have played this before. If this was a game that already existed and I could try it and then make this decision to like upgrade it and get a better version of it, I'd be all about it. But just like as a brand new thing on Kickstarter, I think I'm just getting tired of these games coming in at like $150, $200 and it's being like, give us all the money. You know, it's too much.
1: Yeah. I, I think there, again, this is another discussion that we need to have on another, another episode about Kickstarter and, the benefit and the poison that comes along with like, Hey, we're putting a game out on Kickstarter. So why not, you know, just put the most outrageous components in it because you're going to buy it once. Don't you want to buy it with all the great stuff? And of course we do. We absolutely want to buy it with all the best stuff. And of course, if it's a civilization game, we want all the wonders. We want to see the, the map covered with amazing, amazing things. But again, like you said, we haven't played the game, so the financial investment into something like this is very high based upon something we have not played. Now, right. I do – again, there is some really problematic things with the colonization you know, themes, but his game Empire's Age of Discovery just mechanically is one of the, just the best games out there just for, right. for that kind of role. So I do trust the designer here. I do trust the company here. But the two hour time limit and how we could see things were kind of cut here and there in order to make the two hours, but also like you said, there's at least another fifty, sixty, seventy dollars on this game just for the plastic components that honestly are are just you know, they're just placeholders, right? Right. Um, I think about Mare Nostrum Empires from Academy Games. And that does have an upgraded pack with their little plastic. And that was a Kickstarter way back in the day. It's the same area. It's, it's, it's definitely an empire building game. There is obviously mythology added to it as well. But that's a game that I always felt like really did have all the elements. It doesn't play un- under two hours, but it does have the feel of that. So I, I think Anthony, you know, whereas, you know, Marvel United X-Men, you know, was one of those things where it was all about the plastic and we could kind of justify that. At least I could as a big X-Men fan and I did back the whole enchilada, the uncanny version of this, which I will regret later, but I did do it. Uh, (laughs) I think in this case, I think in this one rare case, despite the great company, despite the, the designer, I think, in fact, you have talked me out of buying or backing Mosaic, A Story of Civilization, my friend. You've done it. I've I did. actually it. done it. You actually did a thing. <laughs> I was this close to backing it, and you pulled me out. Woo! I did. Yes! <laughs> I think I pulled myself
0: so, out, too, because when you sent this link over, I was like,
1: ooh! It's a Civ game by Glenn Drover, I want it! It <laughs> was an instant back, and just, yeah, so I hate to do it, because this is going to be a great game, and again, the, it's going to look gorgeous on the table with all the extra stuff. Alright, so you talk me out of it. Let's talk, let's stop talking about it before I before I back it. Damn <laughs> Alright, so uh, that's everything for us. <laughs> Just in the nick of time. Until next time, this is Chris. And this is Anthony. And we'll save you all a see at the table. Take care everyone.